Welcome everyone to Andy Here's the 70s, the show where we try and find the absolute best albums from the 1970s. This week we're listening to the 70s albums of Stevie Wonder. I'm your host Andy and I'm of course not doing this alone. And when I told my co-host that we had eight albums to listen to for this uh, episode, two of which were double albums, you know, I know that he was thinking back to season one of the show and we just had five albums per episode and he said, I wish those days could <laughs> come back once more. Aaron Keck is here. How are you, Aaron? I'm good. How long have you been hanging on to that joke? <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, I listened to each of these albums, you know, like a half dozen times or so for the show. And now I, I have an extra run through them that I listen to to see what the best line to put in that in this part of the show is now. Right, so, <laughs> right. Well, that's good. That's good. So for at least two or three days, I've been like, okay, I think this is what I'm going to go with. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> But it's good. This is this is fun. I'm excited to dig into these albums. Uh, Stevie Wonder, someone uh, whose music has kind of been a gap in my knowledge for too long. Uh, he's got lots of classic singles that I've heard, of course, simply just by being alive, basically. But uh, his, this run of albums in the 70s is legendary, and so I really wanted to waste no time getting into him this season. Uh, Aaron, what is your history, if any, with Stevie Wonder? Basically the same as yours. I know the singles, and that's basically it. I had listened to none of these albums, and at least one of them, and I think you'll know which one, I'd never heard of before. So <laughs> I was excited to get into these, and yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the other thing with me with Stevie Wonder is, and we've talked about this with other artists, um, where you know I listened to the the albums and i say oh you know the 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 albums are fine but i i really ultimately love the singles more than anything else in a lot of cases like i'm not actually a huge fan of the singles he's got a lot obviously of singles mm -hmm. uh but some of them i just am not as big a fan of as everyone else seems to be and for that reason I've kind of felt down on Stevie Wonder, like I didn't like him as much as I should, but now that I've had a chance to actually sit down and listen to his entire oeuvre from the 70s, I can, I think, render a more uh, intelligent judgment on that. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was looking for, too. You know, I think you hear a song so many times, and I think you kind of take it for granted, but then to put it in the context of his of this discography i think it changes kind of your perspective a little bit or, or at the very least also gives true. you a gives you a bigger sense of what he was doing at the time you know yes uh, kind of like i mean it's a similar thing we talk about the beatles all the time but i mean you hear the biggest beatles songs for half your life and you're like okay i get it but then you're like you actually dig into all their albums and realize it happened in less than a decade and you're like oh my god this is incredible so right, i think there's a right. there's a similar thing with stevie i, I think as well and the other fascinating thing about Stevie Wonder is we're getting into his work in 1970. He already had had close to a decade of being a pop star. And as the decade turns, he's turning 20. So all of these yeah. early albums, especially like the ones that come out in 70, 71, 72, he's barely old enough to drink at this point. <laughs> he's putting out just one album after another after another. Yeah, not only is this a legendary run of albums, it's a legendary run of albums from somebody who's in their 20s the entire time. Like, it's crazy. Young 20s, yeah, yeah. For, for most of this. Well, as we've kind of alluded to, I mean, there's a lot of music to get to, so let's let's go ahead and dive in here. Uh, Stevlin Hardaway Judkins, born on May 13, 1950, in Saginaw, Michigan, another Michiganer, just like you and Madonna, uh, son of uh, Lula Mae Hardaway and Calvin Judkins, 
Uh, he was six weeks premature when he was born, and his vision uh, was lost as a result of too much oxygen in his incubator. Uh, his parents divorced when he was four, moved with his mother and siblings to Detroit, where he also had a surname changed to Morris, a family name from his mother's side, to avoid association with his father. Stevie always had an upbeat attitude, passion for music. His siblings and friends helped him get around, but he also... But they also didn't treat him like he was, uh, you know, just any kid. Or they did treat him like he was any other kid, I should say. Uh, which he, he says helped him feel comfortable in his surroundings. You know, one thing he always says in interviews, which I think is great, is that, you know, people often would ask, what's it, what's it like to be blind? Did you have worries getting around this blind kid? And he's like, well, I mean, I had two choices. I could either sit in my room and do nothing all day or I can go live my life. So what do you think a little kid's going to do? I mean, yep. I think he he's always had a great attitude which is, which is really refreshing. But uh, he also had, like I said, a passion for music. His neighbor had a busted old piano that he fell in love with immediately upon touching it. And he had his own little set of bongos, and he often played music with the neighborhood kids. And, of course, as luck would have it, he made friends with the uh, cousin of Ronnie White of the Miracles, who, along with songwriter Jerry Lieber, heard him play and got him an audition at Motown. So he goes in, plays drums, piano, organs, bongo, harmonica, whatever they would throw at him. And basically just hangs out there all day, meeting everyone who comes through. Just this like 10 or 11-year-old kid just charming the hell out of everybody. And eventually <laughs> somebody calls up Barry Gordy and is like, you got to get down here and see this kid. And so he comes, he leaves a dinner that he's at and just comes down to see Stevie and basically signs him within the, within the day. He signs to Motown. He, his family gets a stipend each week. And now any royalties would go into a trust that he would be able to access when he's 21. So he's he's making the money, but he doesn't actually have it quite yet. But obviously he knows when he, once he does get it, he figures out what to do with it pretty quick. Uh, he records two albums in 1961 when he's just 11 years old. Uh, Tribute to Uncle Ray, a mostly Ray Charles cover album, and The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie, an instrumental record, both released in 62, though in opposite order for some reason. Uh, they don't really make much of a splash, but also in 62, though, he joins the uh, Motortown Review, which is a touring bill of Motown artists, with, uh, acts like Stevie and even a young Marvin Gaye opening for the bigger acts, primarily Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And a set of little Stevies from the tours released in 63 as Recorded Live, the 12-year-old genius, and the song Fingertips, featuring Stevie pumping up the crowd and enthusiastically le leading the band, becomes a, kind of a surprise hit single and goes to number one on the Billboard charts, which is only the second uh, number one for Motown. The previous one being uh, the Marvelettes, Please, Mr. Postman. Uh, he earns the right to uh, drop the little from his name after that and follows uh, that album with an album of standards called uh, With a Song in My Heart, which is and the equally uninspiring Stevie at the Beach in 1964. So they really don't really, even with this big hit, they don't really know what to do with him yet. He's just kind of this really talented kid. They can't figure out what box they want to try and put him in. But... Uh, He's able to uh, course correct a little bit in 1965, recording a pair of albums that released the following year, Uptight, with the title track from that album release, or coming into the top five of the charts, and a cover of Blown in the Wind, which cracked the top ten as well, and Down to Earth, which uh, number 66 at the time, and, uh, and then he also puts out A Place in the Sun, which also cracks in the top ten. Uh, releases another pair of albums, I mean, they're just cranking them out with him at this point, uh, in 1967, I Was Made to Love Her, that title track, making it to number two, and Someday uh, at Christmas, a November Christmas album. 
it becomes starting to becomes a little bit older. He gets to become a trusted songwriter at this point as well, even writing the song Tears of a Clown for Smokey Robinson, which would become a number one hit for them a few years later. But then 1968, another pair of albums for the young boy. Uh, he releases Ivet's Red Now, which is Stevie Wonder backwards. It's an instrumental kind of experimental jazz album. And then for Once in My Life, which is another top ten hit with Shooby Dooby Doo Day which is a good song, though, as we all know, the best song with Shooby-Doo in it would come uh, 16 years later. Of course, right. <laughs> I had that same thought when I saw the title, when I saw the tracks from that album, like, oh, this is going to be a thing. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh, but, yes, yeah, aside from that, the song uh, if once, For Once in My Life also makes it to number two. And his final album of the 60s, My Cherie Amour, 1969, also has a huge hit of the same name, peaking at number four. So he's, That's I a mean, great he's, song. Yeah, great song. He's had a lot of hits already, like you said. I mean, the 60s are just wrapping up, and he's had a number of top 10 hits. Uh, So finally, we make it to the 70s, and Stevie has put out two more live albums. He puts out one in January, and then another one, initially UK-only release, live at the Talk of the Town in March. But that's not what we're here to talk about, of course. No, in August of 1970, Signed, Sealed, Delivered is released on Motown Records. 12th studio album from Stevie Wonder already. Uh, and he's just right on the cusp of turning 21, but still not quite there yet. So this is kind of the end of the era, the beginning of a new era. Let's listen to the title track, and then we'll talk about Sign, Seal, Delivered. See, I say that a lot of the singles I'm not a huge fan of, and that's true. The thing with Stevie Wonder is he's put out so many singles that at the end of the day, like, there are a lot of Stevie Wonder singles that I love, and this is one of them. I think this song's fantastic. This is a great song, yeah. And uh, it's funny enough, it's co-written with some of the most important women in his life, too. His mother's a co-writer on it, and his soon-to-be wife, Sarita White. Uh, Sarita Wright. They both were co-writers on this one, which is interesting. But yeah, I think this album is good. This song is great. This is a nice... The nice thing about this being the first one of the decade is you get that little like capstone to his classic Motown sound, right? So this is kind yeah. of like the last of that era, and we're about to get into a whole new era. But uh, and it I also think... sounds fresh, too. Yeah. I mean, a, lot of the, a lot of these like early singles that we're going to hear or talk about... And and some of the ones from the '60s, they sound like oldies. Like they sound right. like songs you would only ever hear on the oldie station. I think they're kind of past their moment. This song is fresh. Like this song could play today and be a hit. Yeah, totally. And I feel like it does. I think it has legs. I mean, I feel like you still hear this song come up occasionally. Oh, and you're yeah. right. It doesn't sound like an oldies. You know, like some of the '60s stuff uh, does for him, and really for any Motown artist. I mean, that was they had a Motown sound that was that was kind of what everybody sounded like on that record label 
and that's part of what Stevie is trying now to get away from. This is not with this album, but coming soon. You know, he's trying to break out of that mold that so many Motown artists are stuck in. But this one, uh, you know, like we said, he has writing credits on here. He starts to get uh, producer credits as well. He has this is his for, his first solo producer credit is on the song "Signs You Delivered," as well as the cover of uh, "We Can Work It Out." And but what do you, what do you think of that cover? Also, by the way, I thought it was pretty good. I loved that cover. I yeah. was I was I was went into it thinking, all right, cover we can work it out. That's fine. That was a good choice to to cover that song. I think it was really good. I with this particular album, I'm going to say the exact opposite about an album that comes up later. Uh, I think side A of this album is phenomenal. Side B, not so much. But there's a run of songs on the on the first side of this album between we can work it out. Signed, sealed, delivered. Heaven help us all comes right after that, and I like mm-hmm. that one as kind of a, a kind of an early social message song. And you can't judge a book by its cover is another great song, and all of them are like boom, 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 right at the top of the album. Uh, it's it's very front loaded, but it's great. Yeah, I, I agree. And never had a dream come true. The very first song on it is really good too. Is also I, pretty solid. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. That side A of this is pretty incredible, and I think side B, there's nothing wrong with it, but it is compared to the first side a little forgettable. I think. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Right. I'm honestly, I'm looking at the the track list, and I can't remember any of those songs. <laughs> I know. I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, yeah. I I hear all those first five songs. I look at it, and then I like. Uh, Anything you want me to do? What does that sound like? I don't know. <laughs> Joy takes it's over fine. me. Uh, it hasn't taken over me, I guess. But no. But yeah, the, it's still. I think that's probably the only flaw, right? Is that it is very front loaded. But I mean, what a front! What a, what a front load! I guess. <laughs> what are all... fronts for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With that's fronts what, like these, that's what fronts are for. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> But yeah, so I think it, I think it's a good collection of songs that this is a great way to cap off this era of Stevie Wonder, right? It's a slightly updated Motown sound with a lot of great hits, a uh, great cover, and and a great both a great cover of a song and a great album cover of Stevie in a little box <laughs> with a sign seal delivered behind him. Do not drop on the box. They but, finally figured out what box to put him in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they tried for so long and took him <laughs> took him till he was twenty years old, but they figured it out. It was the size, I think, was the issue. They hadn't needed to get one big enough. Probably, yeah. This is this is a great album, too, because, as you said, it's it's definitely like the cabber on the first phase of his career, and he's going to move into phase two next, and that's where he's going to have all of his biggest albums. But the first couple albums of phase two are definitely more experimental and i don't think is good so this is this is definitely his peak for i think a little while until he really gets going in the middle of the decade yeah i think so yeah as as he begins to plan and think about his next album as we say his 21st birthday is approaching uh, which would not just result in the big payday for getting access to that trust fund but it also opens up the option to leave the motown contract that he's under uh, which basically puts him in a great spot to negotiate for this next round because uh, he gets, starts getting inspired by fellow Motown artists, as we mentioned before, Marvin Gaye, who is at this time now also working on what's going on. And so the the move for Motown artists to become more socially conscious and talk about more issues uh, is in the air, and that's something Stevie's definitely interested in at this point. 
So for his final album prior to turning 21, it, it, basically the ball is in his court. He can turn in what he wants, and so you basically have to put it out. So he gets together uh, with uh, his... I think they are married at this point. So I read a write and him get together. Co-writing all the songs on this next album, Where I'm Coming From, released in April of 71. I'm going to play a little bit of If You Really Love Me, and then we'll discuss that album. I like this song a lot. It, it is uh, a little bit still of that cl- a slightly classic sound, but I think this album in general is much more experimental. I mean, you listen to the first song, Look Around, uh, Do Yourself a Favor, is kind of a grimy funk song. So, I mean, he is playing around with different sounds here in a way that he was not on Sign Steel Delivered. And I think that's going to pay off in a couple of albums. I'm not sure that it pays off here. Like, we've, we've talked about this a lot where... You, you have an artist who hits this moment where they can do whatever they want to and they can be experimental and they can try new things without having the producer or the studio like staring over their shoulder and micromanaging. And sometimes that results in a classic, like timeless all-timer of an album. And sometimes you end up with something that's interesting, but you've done better. And I think that's, I think that's Stevie Wonder here with where I'm coming from. Like, I think this is a step down from Sound Seal Delivered, but mm-hmm. it's also, like, you can you can hear Inner Visions in this album. Like, you can see where he's going. He just hasn't gotten there yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is, there's definitely, it's one of those, like, this is the first glimmer of the potential, right? This is, uh, there is a lot that he's doing on here. I actually really like a couple of these songs. Um, Something Out of the Blue, I think, is a really great song. I mean, it sounds... Uh, it's almost McCartney-esque to me. I think that it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. But uh, the other the other side of that is that I Want to Talk to You is probably my least favorite song in this, maybe the whole run. <laughs> I, I think... Obviously, he's going for something here that doesn't quite work, and he will do better later on. And that okay, uh, but yeah. Okay, what, so what there's think? a yeah. So I agree with you. There's a blues artist named Guy Davis who has an album called Legacy, and the first song off of that album, which I think may be the title track of the album, if I remember right. Although don't quote me on that. 
uh, is very much like I want to talk to you where it's like an older guy and a younger guy arguing with each other and Guy mm-hmm. Davis's version of that is better and more fun than Stevie Wonder's which you know props to Guy Davis for topping Stevie Wonder in this one specific way <laughs> uh, but if you if you like the concept but don't think it was pulled off very well go find Guy Davis and listen to that song and then listen to the rest of the album because it's really good legacy okay yeah I will have to look that up yeah because it, it, I do I think it's like okay I like the concept but I mean when the chorus is just like that like the Stevie's old white man voice saying, I want to talk, I wanna to, talk you. to you. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to listen to that. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, fine. You got the you got the floor. Say what it is you came to say. Yeah. I just want to talk to you. Like, all right, cool. Just about anything. Like, right. I'm having a good day. It's cloudy. I, what I like about this album more than anything is like listening to the songs and hearing where he's going. This is mm-hmm. the first album where he really starts experimenting with synthesizers and the and the clavinet and and Mm -hmm. instruments like that that are going to become his signature so my favorite song off of this album is do yourself a favor which is probably the most mid-70s stevie wonder sounding song on this album like it, it starts it kicks off and you're like okay now i see where he's going not still not there yet, but almost he's getting close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, there's a lot of foreshadowing here for sure. Yeah. Uh, but in May of 71, Wonder turns 21. He's out, allowed out of his contract and uh, he and Cyrita move to New York. Uh, starts working or he settles up and creates his own publishing company, Black Bull Productions, to maintain all the rights to his future songs. Uh, and he gets ready and starts recording his next album in New York, along with uh, Sarita's first full-length album. Uh, and while all, while that's going on, he's rec- negotiating his new Motown contract, ends up signing then and uh, gets a better royalty split with them. He gets complete creative control. And then in March of 72, is ready to release his 14th studio album, Music of My Mind, on which he plays nearly every instrument. I'll play a little bit of the opening track. And then we will talk about the album. Mama, mama, starts please <laughs> all right you know you know you've got a confident artist when he starts a track like that when he starts an album like that yeah definitely great opening uh, it's a good opening song i think the second song is great too 
uh, Superwoman, which is a was released as a single and actually I think did decently. Uh, it hit it, the album reached number one, uh, 21 on the charts. Superwoman got up to 33, so so still decent showing more more than what uh, the last album did. Uh, but yeah, I think this one is still in that not quite there phase, right? It's still yeah. almost uh, to what he's going to do, but still not quite. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a theory that he gets there uh, on this album, but not until the last two tracks. I would argue that mm-hmm. keep on running and evil are both really, really good songs. And if you like start there and go from that into talking book, like that's classic Stevie wonder. Yeah, that it is a great end. Uh, honestly, it's a great beginning and end, and then the middle yeah. is just kind of meandering. I think it's, it's a little, a little yeah. samey. But yeah, I agree. Keep on running. I love Evil's a great closing track. Yeah, I think that's really my thing is that this is a good album that is just a little too samey. I almost made me appreciate the one before it how it was at least experimental and tried a lot of different things, whereas this kind of tries the same thing throughout the run, uh, and then finds <laughs> finds the best way to do that at the end. I think. Yep. Uh, and like I said, he played most every instrument on here. Uh, this is also the beginning of a partnership he has with uh, Malcolm Cecil and Robert Margaleff, the creators of the Tonto synthesizer, which is a like literally room-sized polyphonic synthesizer that uh, is kind of a Frankenstein's monster of all different kinds of synths that are then plugged in together and he can play. You Basically, you have you know a synthesized orchestra at your fingertips then at this point, and which is exactly what you want to give Stevie Wonder, I think. So if anybody knows how to use it, it's Stevie. And so this is him especially playing around with that, which is kind of cool too. Uh, but then, so summer of 72 now, Stevie and Cyrita uh, divorce, though they end things on good terms and will continue to collaborate over the years. Uh, but after that, October of 72, the landmark... Talking Book is released along with its lead single, Stevie's first number one since Fingertips, Superstition. Let's hear some of that song, and then we'll dig into Talking Book. Sometimes when I'm listening to a really, really good song, like an all-timer like this, I try to imagine myself being in the room with like the studio head or the producer or whatever the first time it ever gets played. Like they walk in with the album for the first time and it's like, okay, you got to hear this song though. Yeah. And 
whoever's in the room, like they have no idea what they're about to hear. And then that synthesizer just kicks in and oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I think it's probably like, I'm thinking about it in a similar way. And then any store that sells the Honer clavinet after this, just like in Wayne's world has to put up a sign that says no superstition <laughs> allowed because everybody's going to try and just play that on the clavinet <laughs> from here on. <laughs> It's the boom, 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 boom in the middle. That's what yeah. does it. Uh, that's what that's what puts it over the top. And the nice thing about this song is because, like, you know, because I've said this a thousand times before, I like a roller coastery kind of song. Like, I like mm-hmm. a song that builds to something as opposed to one that just kind of kicks off at a high and just kind of plateaus there for the entire rest. Superstition takes a while to get going you've got that very basic like almost a drum machiney drum riff Mm -hmm. and then the synthesizer kicks in but or the the clavinet and you know there's not really there's not really much to it at first because it's just the synthesizer and the one little riff and then another instrument comes in and another one and then he starts singing and then the drums get louder and by the end it's just this orchestral thing and it's it's incredible yeah totally Uh, it's basically a perfect song i think and yeah it took the two albums before it to get here but i think this is like so, uh, you know and there's debate too whether those other two albums count as the beginning of his classic run or not but i think the one thing that nobody debates is like this one is firmly yeah this is for sure. and and really you know beyond superstition i mean i think there's a lot of really good songs on here uh you're the sunshine of my life the, the opening track was also number one i think that's a, a good low-key opener um I like Big Brother right after Superstition. I think this is another one where, unlike like maybe Science Sealed Delivered, this is a loaded back half, too. I think the whole second side of this is really good. Uh, you know, earlier when I said that uh, that Science Sealed Delivered has a, has a front-loaded A-side, <laughs> and there's going to be an album that comes later where I'm going to say the B-side is, this is that album. Uh-huh. Like, I, like, You Are the Sunshine of My Life is fine, but that's one of those singles that... I've never been a huge fan of, mm-hmm. so whatever. Maybe Your Baby is pretty good. There's a couple songs yeah. up top that are all right. But Superstition is where it kicks in. You're right about Big Brother. I believe When I Fall in Love is a great song to end it. Mm-hmm. I will take the first side of Sign Seal Delivered and stick that up with the the B side of Talking Book and maybe throw in You're the Sunshine of My Life just because people are going to want that. <laughs> right. And that's an album for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I think that it's a, you're right. This is the side B to end all side Bs, basically, just like yeah. the other had the side A. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I agree that, I mean, Sunshine of Your Love, I think is, or Sunshine of My Life, not Sunshine of Your Love. That's a different song. But uh, That's a different song. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I think that that's a fine song. I'm actually a little surprised it went to number one, frankly, but it also then kind of fits into that 70s soft rock sound too, right? Right, right. And, which, and this is also like Stevie Wonder at its peak. Stevie Wonder at his peak doing a song that's just in the zeitgeist. Like, yeah, that's going to number one. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because he won. So he gets some of his, I believe these are his first Grammys that he gets with this, too. Superstition wins him best R&B yes. vocal performance. And Sunshine wins best pop vocal performance. So, I mean, it is, he was getting both sides of the coin there. And I think Inner Visions wins best album at the same Grammys, if I remember right. Uh, that maybe I. Def- I think they. I think they get loaded in together on the same Grammys, but From, again, don't necessarily quote me on that. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not sure because yeah, it probably is because they do. It's just like all the other award shows, right? They're not like the January to December year. It's always like a weird uh, March to March or something like that. So. 
Well, the Oscars are January to December, and I don't know why every other award ceremony is not like that because it's weird otherwise. Like, it is. oh yeah, what's the best album of June of two thousand six to May of two thousand seven? <laughs> Man, I don't know. Yeah, the way everybody thinks about a year, right? <laughs> exactly, right. I I go on the academic calendar too. <laughs> yeah, and the award for best album of fiscal year twenty twenty one is. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why. It's all about money with these people. Yeah, it is. Ugh. This industry, I am know. I right? Ugh, the worst. Ugh. That's, why, that's why we do podcasts, right? We don't want money yes. for this. We're not getting any money out of this at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll take none, thank you. I mean, we'll take some. We'll take, please, if you want to sponsor it, the yeah. show, uh, Andy hears Absolutely, it at 100%. gmail.com. We'll take any and all sponsors. <laughs> but uh, but uh, So during this also, he goes on tour with the Rolling Stones. Uh, which is their Exile on Main Street tour. And with Stevie Wonder as an opening act, I'm just thinking like, all right, if time travel ever is invented, that's absolutely one place that I'm going to go, right? That's an incredible double yeah, bill. Tickets are impossible because a whole bunch of other people from the 22nd century are going to be in on that too. <laughs> How funny would that be if you go to a concert in the past and realize that it is sold out from people from the future? <laughs> just nothing but like future people. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really funny. Uh, but so he goes on store or on tour with the Stones. But uh, then shortly uh, after this, like you said, he gets right into the studio again to get worked on or get work done on Inner Visions, uh, which is released in August of '73. Play a little bit of "Living for the City," and then we'll talk about that album. A boy born in Mississippi, surrounded by a world that ain't so pretty. His parents give him love and affection to keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough, just enough for the city. This song Interesting is choice on living for the city. Why that? This one's one of my favorites. I think this is okay. this is sort of like you know if he wanted to do the explicit you know kind of like message inner city song that he tried to do with I want to talk to you. This is like the successful version of that in in his it is, catalog. It is really good. I like that one and uh, Jesus Children of America is another good political song. Mister Know It All is another really good political song. Like this. This is legit as far as a social message album. Yeah, and and still, like, obviously incredible musicianship, too. I mean, all these songs sound amazing still. Yeah, I think there's nine songs on this album, and I think my least favorite might be Too High, which is the song that that kicks off the album, and that's a pretty good song. Like, yeah. There's not a bad track here. That's definitely true. And this is another one. He likes a low-key opening. I mean, this is not one that, like, hits you in the face when the album starts again. It's a, but that's kind of what's cool about it. It's a nice kind of a slow burn, 
uh, with Too High and then Visions. Then Living for the City starts to pick up. Golden Lady, I think, is a good song. Higher Ground, great song. And yeah, I, there's not a bad song on here again, I don't think. You're right about it being an odd choice for an opening track, like Higher Ground, you would think, right? Like that's, that starts off so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of be the traditional opener, I would think. Right, you know? right. But he, he saves it for, for the, I guess that's the end of side one, probably? Or is it the beginning of side two? I'd have to look. I think it's the beginning of side two. Okay, that makes sense. Because living for the city is long, so it probably is four on, on side A and five on side B. But, but yeah, he's like you said, he's Mr. Know-It-All, a dig at Richard Nixon. Uh, and this, like you said, earns him the first album of the year Grammy. Uh, so he's taken, he's taken home the awards uh, basically every year from here on out until, uh, until a certain point. But, <laughs> but yeah, what do you think of this one compared to Talking Book? Do you see, do you see it as a step up? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think Talking Book is Superstition and a bunch of other pretty solid songs. Inner Visions is like Higher Ground is not as good as Superstition, but it's almost as good, and it's surrounded by a bunch of songs that don't make it stand out quite as much. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Uh, so I've I've done some I've done some research in the last fifteen seconds. I had to <laughs> I had to Google it just to make sure. Number one, yes, Higher Ground is the opening song on side B, so we're right about that. Okay, good. Uh, number two, if you Google Stevie Wonder, the first like people also ask mm-hmm. is is Stevie Wonder deaf, which is a really weird question to ask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't know who posed that to Google, but. I guess they're mixing up the sen- which senses he uh, is missing. Maybe. I don't know. Your other your other questions are: What sense did Stevie Wonder lose? Is Stevie Wonder gifted? Which yes, obviously. And how many wives Stevie Wonder had? That that is a, a at least an interesting question to ask because yeah. it is it's uh, three. By the way, it is three, but he does have children yeah. from five different women. So yeah, when he back when he said, you know, I believe when we fall in love this time, it'll be forever. Maybe not. Uh, he didn't quite <laughs> he didn't see into the future necessarily for that one but yeah but, maybe but well he wasn't necessarily singing to you know that's true the the person that you were thinking he was singing to, yeah but, you maybe know, you're right could have been anyone at that point and to, and to be honest it seems like uh, he gets along with everybody he's been with i don't think there's anybody who dislikes stevie wonder on the planet it doesn't seem like so he's in he has good relationships with everybody still it was, it was going to say like the fact that he like has this amazing relationship with Sarita the last decade, even after they their short lived marriage comes to an end. Like that's saying something. Yeah, for sure. That everybody's like everybody gets into a relationship with Stevie Wonder and leaves going, you know what? We had a good time, didn't we? <laughs> like that's it. It's, we just it's moved still on. Pretty good. Yeah. 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 As opposed to the Fleetwood Mac approach of <laughs> we hate each other but we're still gonna work together. <laughs> yeah. We're working together because we like each other. Yeah, exactly. How much animosity can we fit into this song? Oh, that's how much you want to put in? Okay, well, I'll, let's see. <laughs> yeah, no animosity at all. It doesn't seem like with with Stevie Wonder. But yeah, I like. I don't know about you, but getting back to the original question, mm-hmm. I think Inner Visions is a step up from Talking Book. Not a huge step up, but I I think he's still yeah. Like, even after Talking Book, as great an album as it is, I think he's still got room to grow, and he does it here. I think so, too. I, I think I do like Intervisions a little bit better. I'll have to see if that's what I wrote when we get to our rankings at the end, because I think they they are very close. I mean, I think uh, 
they are it's probably whichever i'm listening to at the time i'd say oh yeah i think this one's probably better but yeah they're yeah they're both really good uh but then within days of the release of intervisions he is in a serious car accident when a log truck or with a log truck in north carolina and is actually in a coma for several days which did actually cost him his sense of smell temporarily so that's that's the other answer to that google question but and taste briefly yeah apparently yeah the, that accident happened in Durham, North Carolina, which I mentioned because that's where I happen to be sitting recording <laughs> this uh, this episode with you. So, is it parked somewhere? They did they haven't uh, memorialized it. I'll uh, I'll Google that, but I don't think I'll I don't think I'll find <laughs> it's it. probably much. no, it's probably crushed at this point. If anything, it's in a cube. We can <laughs> see if we can get the cube on the show. But, <laughs> uh, but he tours Europe shortly. Uh, you know, like he starts playing again uh, starting in November of that year, and then by beginning of next year 1974 towards europe and the states uh and starts planning for that next album which the inscrutably titled fulfillingness first finale released in july of 74 we'll hear a little bit of its lead single another billboard number one uh you haven't done nothing we'll talk about that record So yeah, another number one song, another Nixon diss track, and another great record, I think. Yeah. I think this one's a little bit of a step down from Inner Visions, but that's not really saying a whole lot, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it doesn't... Like, oh man, he, he's like, huge step down from one of the greatest <laughs> albums ever made. What are you doing, Stevie Wonder? I think the, the it is like, it doesn't have quite, you know, it doesn't have a superstition or a higher ground on it, but... Uh, and I think that You Haven't Done Nothing kind of tries to be that. And obviously it worked at the time because it still went to number one. But uh, It's a good song. It is a good song. But I think the thing about this one for me is I actually kind of like, uh, I kind of like every song on here. And I think it has another good like track sequence. I really like uh, Heaven is 10 Zillion Light Years Away. It's a great it's a good one. second song. It Ain't No Use right after You Haven't Done Nothing is another great song. Uh, I think this one is it's a little bit more like he's still using the tanto but it does get a little bit more acoustic in its production uh it's so there's a little bit more band members to work with it's a little bit more of a live sound uh and for me i I don't know i found myself listening to this one and really enjoying it uh i didn't find it to be a step i like it it's yeah it's it's a good album i think i think what kind of sums it up for me is i listened to you haven't done nothing which is a good song and i'm liking it 
but it's so superstition-y that mm-hmm. I just kind of want to be listening to superstition again. And I'm kind of like that with this entire album. Like, yeah, this is good. All these songs are good. I'm getting into them. I really just want to be listening to Inner Visions or Talking mm-hmm. Book. Uh, it's a little, I just think those are just slightly better. Yeah, it's a little bit more subdued also, I think, that doesn't quite have maybe the energy that the other two did. But it's also kind of just kind of a different energy. If you want kind of a more chill out album this is kind of that one right yeah but who wants that <laughs> i don't know sometimes i want that i don't know whoever wants that i also love that it calls its shot basically and right on the cover is another grammy award which it does take home album of the year <laughs> for this one too so you got to respect that uh, we also did hear this has creepin on it which we had previously heard uh, because luther vandross does a cover of that on one of his albums yep so that was fun I'm still waiting for fulfilling this is second finale. <laughs> I know it's we've been waiting a long time. I wonder if it's going to come. Yeah, one of these days. Maybe he's holding on to it. Maybe when he decides he is finally going to hang it up and retire, that's when he hits us with fulfilling this is last finale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just saving it. That is a good name for a farewell tour though. That would be. Yeah, that's if you ever yeah, exactly. Farewell tour should 100% be called that. Like we just did, uh, we just did the Elton John album, and he's on his farewell tour, which is "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," which is a great name right. for a farewell tour. Like fulfilling this is a last finale is a great, great name. Mm-hmm. Stevie, if you're listening, like that's that's a tip from me to you. Yeah, we'll give you that one for free. <laughs> Unless you want to sponsor the show, like I said, that set that too. Yeah, again, give us money as well. That would be nice. <laughs> Uh, but he would spend basically the bulk of the next two years in uh, in and out of the studio creating the next album. And even at one point, considering hanging it up, uh, you know, the pressure was high at Motown to release an album in 75. And here's where I want to throw out a little hypothetical of something I was thinking about. So we talked a little bit after last episode about greatest hits compilations inspired by the incredible sales of the Eagles' greatest hits. And couple that with the fact that despite his critical success, uh, none of Stevie's albums to this point had gone platinum. Uh, though there's obviously a big one on the horizon. Uh, so I was thinking about it, and you, uh, you know that Barry Gordy's frothing to release something from Stevie Wonder in 75. So I think this is when you put out a Stevie Wonder best of. I think that that's, yeah. that would be the hot seller, right? That would be, he's he's just won Grammy or Album of the Year twice in a row. He's had number one hits on multiple albums now. So I think, uh, you know, you release you can release something and they have they did release a couple of compilations. So in '68 and '71, there was a couple of greatest hits of the the older Motown stuff. And then in '77, there is another best of that is a triple album, still collecting mostly the old Motown stuff. Uh, nothing past where I'm coming from. So I think you got to do a single LP of Stevie Wonder's greatest hits. I have a track list prepared. Uh, okay. Here's what I'm thinking. So I think okay, you st- I think you still dip into the 60s a little bit because those were still huge songs, right? But so I kick it off with Uptight, everything's all right. I think that's still a great song that holds up. Uh Are we necessarily going uh earlier to later? Not exactly, although I do have it. Okay. I do have side A as the slightly older side B as the slightly newer. So you, it is broken up a little bit that way. Because they did already miss a chance to open an album with Higher Ground, and I'm just saying, good opening track. (laughs) That's true, Uh, but uh, I save it for side two. So, uh, all right, uptight, everything's all right. Then I go signed, sealed, delivered. Big right. uh, Then for once in my life, 
I was made to love her, my Sharia more, close outside one with if you really love me. So then you've got okay. a solid run of the, the more Motown sound. Kick off side two, don't you worry about a thing. If maybe on your version, kick it off with higher ground. Don't you worry about a thing. Superstition, up next. You haven't done nothing. Higher ground. Boogie on reggae woman, one we didn't talk about, but was also a pretty big single. And then you are the sunshine of my life. Close it out. That's a, that's no a 12 song. No, no fingertips because I think the since it's the live version that I think that's something that doesn't necessarily translate to a greatest hits album, even though it is on all of them. Because hearing it, I think the thing about fingertips is you're hearing what a great talent and band leader this little kid is, which you don't need to anymore. It's 1975. You know who Stevie Wonder that's is. Fair. I don't think that yeah. does anything for a greatest hits anymore. So I think you just play the songs that were the hits there's 12 of them on here that's a single lp i think that sends it i think you put that out at this point in time and it sells 10 million copies probably uh probably especially in the 70s like that's i mean we talked about this already that's the age of the huge mega selling greatest hits album mm-hmm. like i'm kind of surprised they didn't do that yeah i mean that would have seemed like a no-brainer because you figure that's right around the same time that the eagles one came out and sold like gangbusters right. and then allowed the next album to be as big as it was because hotel california came out right after their greatest hits which was then their biggest non-greatest hits album by a mile so i think he's right about to have that success anyway this is sort of like a way to cash in on it early almost you obviously don't know exactly what's coming but you also know that he has a bunch of number one hits and one album of the year twice in a row now yeah and we've already established that the entire music industry thinks of its year in fiscal terms. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, easy, easy money, Barry. Why didn't you go for it? Yeah. So I think that's that's what that's what you also do if you have a time machine and you want it to do it for money. Then you go back and you convince them to release this album and somehow get a cut of it. Right. But, uh, there is also I've come from the future with a great idea. <laughs> release a Stevie Wonder's <laughs> greatest hits album. Like really, that's that's your you're not going to tell us to nope nope Stevie Wonder's yeah, greatest. That's hits the only it. thing I've come to correct. Just that one thing. You don't. We did every. We're doing everything fine right now. It's like well well no you're making a lot of mistakes. But Stevie Wonder's greatest <laughs> make that happen. You know, start small. See if that go then you go back in the future. See if that worked, and then say okay maybe right. now I go back and do something that actually uh, maybe makes it bigger. Now difference. let me tell you about global warming. <laughs> yeah. They did also release. There is a compilation from '82 that has a bunch of his hits from the '70s. Uh, plus some new ones, but it's a double album, and it's also titled Stevie Wonder's Original Musiquarium, which I don't think <laughs> that's a barrier to entry. I feel like immediately, like just yeah. c- also also ain't nobody got time for a double album. Man, that, that's the thing, and also they I mean they are going to cost twice as much too. So I mean you, yeah exactly half the reason I think the Eagles one probably sold as much is because for you know twelve bucks or whatever probably well probably not even the, the equivalent of today's twelve bucks four or five dollars probably you can go pick up this greatest hits and it has all the songs on it so yeah that's my pitch <laughs> i i'm I, i'm on board with it uh but that's like i said he's at the the height of his power at this point he's been working in the studio off and on for, for so long uh one of the engineers here on this next record estimates he's got about some 200 songs in the bank at this point like he's got to start trimming them down manages to pare it down to the double lp plus ep 21 songs songs in the key of life released released in september of 76 i'll play some of the lead single which i massacred up at the top of the show i wish and then we'll discuss the album 
All right. I'm going to say the thing that you've been waiting for me to say for many, many years. <laughs> okay. I don't think that this should have been a single album. Wow. Okay. I, d- I was, of course, going to ask, and I am. I do have to take a second and just... I, you might have to say it again. I don't know. <laughs> I think this works as a double album. I think this is a good enough album from start to finish that you don't have to condense it down to one. I agree. I think these are great songs. There's a good variety on here, and I think it has a great track sequence. I think even uh, the little bonus tracks at the end, I think, are pretty good, too. I was going to say, having said that, the EP is over. You can lose the EP. <laughs> you can lose. The, the album itself is, is legit. It is funny. They're like the original bonus tracks. I mean, it's literally a little EP that, that also came t- tucked into the record sleeve. But yeah, uh, I think they're still, those are still fine. I think you're right that the, I mean, disc one and two are, is where it's at. And uh, obviously, I wish a big smash, Sir Duke, another number one hit. Uh, isn't she lovely and enduring song, even though that didn't actually chart at the time? another star as uh, both charted in the 30s yeah I, I mean plus you get um songs like pastime paradise which obviously sampled in gangsta's paradise uh, in the 90s first time i'd ever heard that song by the way i i you know mm-hmm. i came of age in the mid 90s when gangsta's paradise was huge i've heard that song a million times uh i'd never actually heard the original song that it sampled until this episode so thank you for that yeah it is funny i did it's one of those things that i knew and then forgot because then listening to this one the first time i was like oh yeah because i remember there was actually and if you watch the um there's a classic albums documentary episode about songs in the key of life which is pretty good and it shows a clip of this too which i remember seeing at the time there was a, a one of the music award shows had coolio performing that song and then bringing stevie wonder out with him uh, and that's when that, I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, I guess it, that's what he's sampling. But so I, but then, of course, 20, 30 years later, forgot about it again. But it's funny. I think that one. Pastime Paradise just in and of itself is a great song. It, like, it is. Stop living in the past. Stop living for the future. Like live for the now and make the future better. Like that's a, that's a great message. And that, that song and uh, Village Ghetto Land, uh, both great songs that uh, Stevie, I believe, attributes to uh, Eleanor Rigby being kind of the inspiration for the arrangement of him, kind of the sparse uh, string-type arrangements, which I thought was interesting. And, and String-type arrangements, but that's a synthesizer he's using. It is, yeah. Those are, which is super impressive. Yeah. So, And this one, so he's, he's still using, obviously, all sorts of synthesizers. He's always on the cutting edge of whatever synthesizer technology is out. But he does also, I mean, there's dozens of, of live musicians that play on this record, too. And I think you can you get that feel, uh, and what he was certainly going for too, I'm sure, is that you get a lot more energy, I think, from the band members and having people to bounce ideas off of. Uh, and I think you can tell that. I mean, that was part of what he came together on this record. He's when he came to the title "Songs of the Key of Life," he was thinking about uh, life, obviously, and having this that be the theme of the album and how he pared it down to what it was. And I think part of that is having that live band, that live energy, uh, to bounce it off of. Yeah, we're going to get to an album in a minute that's got a number of instrumentals on it. So I got to mention Contusion, which is a great instrumental on this mm-hmm. album. Yeah, I know. When I was putting together like my top songs from all of these, th- there was a bunch that ended up on here. And that that was one of them that, that I ended up uh, liking a lot. I mean, the, the run from that, I mean, obviously every song on here is great, but Contusion to Sir Duke, I Wish, 
uh, is a just a great three song sequence in itself. I don't like Sir Duke. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Just not a fan. Never, never happened. I listened to it. And I was like, why don't I like this song? It's kind of goofy. Is is why I don't like it's it. It's definitely like, goofy. I mean, it's it's kind of that. It's a little whiz bangy for it's me. It's kind of like uh, it's almost his McCartney coming through again, but maybe the cornier side of it, right? It's just like this is a song about all the music I love, <laughs> and so that's it. Yeah. I think I don't know. Yeah, this is the part of Stevie Wonder that's going to pair up with Paul McCartney and do Ebony and Ivory in a couple of years, yeah. and it's like, all right, we, we, like there's other great stuff on this album. We don't, we could, we could lose through Duke. I think that's true. I know I'm in the minority on that one, but <laughs> I do. I, I I skip that track. Oh, you skip it even? Jeez. Well, I wish comes right after. I that. know. Like, <laughs> but you're skipping from contusion to I wish. That's a good. That's a good jump. That's true. But yeah, so I think this one, very successful double album. Um, obviously, uh, Isn't She Lovely? Dedicated to his daughter, Aisha. Uh, born in 75, right before this came out. Uh, and then uh, officially, this is kind of, this marks the end of the classic period. Uh, this is, this would go on to sell 10 million copies. This is the biggest album of his career by far. Um, but the next project he would undertake uh, was kind of an unusual one, right? It's uh, the final album we're going to discuss for this episode, the soundtrack album Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants, soundtrack to a 1979 nature documentary. Uh, and for the music, uh, producer Michael Braun actually described each scene for Stevie, uh, recorded that to a four-track tape along with the uh, film's audio, and Stevie scored it that way, which is pretty cool. I'll play a little bit of the opening track, Earth's Creation, and then we'll discuss that project. now i'll ask you the same question did this need to be a double album i don't think this needed to be an album <laughs> i'm like actually the 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 instrumentation is great mm -hmm. like the the first the first three tracks on this earth's creation you just played the first garden voyage to india those are all three instrumental tracks and i think the first two especially like they're good mm -hmm. you can i mean you can tell 
Like, I don't, I don't know how they got Stevie Wonder to do the soundtrack album for this rando documentary, but all right, cool, he's in it. Uh, he's an amazing musician no matter what he's doing. So there's a lot of really high-quality musician musicianship and instrumentation on this album, but there is nothing on this album that i need to go back to ever again <laughs> i think uh i think there is definitely interesting stuff here like you said i think and he's obviously a great musician so i think these are these are good if you want new agey synth like music then this is probably a pretty good one to listen to but i think this definitely could have been at the very least there should have been two versions of this right the, the, here's the complete one with all the stuff from it uh, and then there's also a single version with with some of the the more lyrical songs maybe a couple of the of the better instrumentals just cut down to you know pick the best 10 and make a single disc out of it that you could also there get you go. i think that they should have had both probably uh but this is the first uh recorded use of the melodion digital sampler uh so like i said always on the edge of technology here but i did watch the documentary they have somebody uploaded it to youtube i think that's the only way you can watch it currently uh and it is I would say the music definitely works for it. I think it, it's cool in that context. And the documentary is actually pretty interesting. It starts off, I thought for a second, like the first probably 10 minutes are all like time-lapse plant footage. And you're like, okay, so I should just, I'm supposed to be stoned on a gourd right now, and I'm not. <laughs> so Oh, big time. But yeah, 100%. Uh, there is like the, you know, a, a lot of it is also actually also people doing different experiments on plants uh, throughout the world and what they're learning about plants, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, and then... There were, I mean, since it's on YouTube, there's a couple spots where, like, I had to assume what song they were playing because it got muted uh, for whatever reason, but for cop for <laughs> copyright. So, I mean, I think it does probably deserve a Blu-ray release or something because it was kind of a cool documentary. Obviously, Stevie Wonder's music is, it should be in a better, <laughs> it should be a more viewable uh, documentary considering the, the context. But I probably agree that yeah. uh, this as a whole, I mean, it's a, this is this is probably one of the craziest eight-run uh, albums from this decade, considering it starts with Science Seal delivered and ends with the Secret Life of Plants. I think I think that's quite the journey in in itself. I think, which is kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you know. So no, am I going to listen to Secret Life of Plants before any of these other seven? Of course not. <laughs> but I, I think it is kind of interesting. Are you going to listen to Secret Life of Plants af after any of these other yeah, songs? I'm sure if I, you know, want to listen to some Stevie Wonder and I press shuffle and I forget that Secret Life of Plants is in there too, then yeah, I'll, I'll end up hearing some of those songs. But I do think actually there are a couple, like some of the ones that were, that do have lyrics, like Outside My Window, I thought was a pretty good song. Um, Power Flower, even though it's obviously, I mean, it's kind of a jokey song, I think, but it's kind of cool. And the, the one towards the end, The Seeds, a Star, Tree Medley, that that's a good song, I think. So there are good songs on here is still. Power Flower, is Power Flower the one that has all of the lyrics that are like Piper at the Gates of Dawning and this and that? Like yeah, basically. <laughs> every lyric is a reference to something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that one, too, in the, in the documentary had, it was like a whole segment with that song, and it's like a, a slideshow through history, <laughs> kind of, with his lyrics uh, superimposed on it. So it's kind of... Uh, should mention part. this documentary and the book that inspired it are also like rather controversial because it's all this kind of weird like new agey pseudoscience about oh plants have minds and souls and they can communicate with us telepathically yeah. and like when the when the book that the documentary was based on first came out like it was 
it was provocative. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I, I can I can see that. I mean, I don't I don't know. There's any harm in it necessarily, but it is certainly new agey for sure. Is the right word to use? I think it is funny seeing like, you know, people trying to answer the questions of can plants hear signals from space or can plants be horny? Like that's just half what half the movie is trying to figure out. And then there's another like scientist who's like chopping up some lettuce next to a plant and see, seeing if it stresses it out to see the mutilation of its cabbage cousin or something <laughs> like it's it is some out there uh studies for sure i ha- i did not see this documentary did they do time-lapse footage of a horny plant because if so i'm in <laughs> no unfortunately it was at regular speed so probably less oh. yeah, i know less interesting but no, but so even though you know less uh, critically successful uh, from here on out, but uh, the '80s were still a big decade for Stevie. Uh, release hotter than July, uh, which was seen as a kind of a comeback after after Secret Life of Plants, uh, with the single Master Blaster reaching number five. Song Happy Birthday, uh, part of his campaign to get MLK Day to be an actual national holiday, which he succeeded with in 1983. Uh, and then two more number ones down the line with I Just Called to Say I Love You and Part-Time Lover. So, you know, two, 23 studio albums to date, nine children, countless achievements, incredible legacy, and an incredible catalog from the 70s, unparalleled perhaps, but uh, certainly tough to rank and pick five songs from, but we got to give it a shot. So what do, you, what do you think is more, what should we do first, the albums or the songs? I'm not sure which is more interesting. Ooh, I had a much easier time with the albums than the songs. Okay, let's do with the albums first, and then we'll do our top five songs. All right. Uh, so I'll count down from eight to one. Mm-hmm. Number eight, the worst album is uh, Inner Visions. Oh, sorry, <laughs> no. Secret Life of Plants. Uh, for for the obvious reason. Mm-hmm. Um, number seven is where I'm coming from. Which again, uh, you see where he's going more than where he's coming from uh-huh. on that album. Like there's there's a lot of good stuff there. He's just not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, number six for the same reason is music of my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the same kind of the same thing. Uh, and then you've got your top five, which some of these could go in any direction. Uh, number five is fulfillingness. Mm. Um, just because while it's a great album, the other four albums just have better songs on it, like better higher peaks Mm -hmm. uh and occasionally lower lows but definitely higher peaks uh number four is sign sealed delivered number three is talking book although those two are kind of tied for me because side a of one and side b of the other Mm -hmm. uh number two is inner visions and then number one just because it's the it's the first one that i've been able to say yes this is a double album that's worth being a double album is songs in the key of life nice yeah, these these are uh, you know I'll I'll surprise nobody. The Secret Life of Plants is my number eight as well, but I agree that this is these are tough ones to order. I think because they are a lot of them are so close together. Uh, but for me, I ended up at number seven putting Sign Seal Delivered because uh, as strong okay. as that first side is, I thought the second side was forgettable enough, and I liked what he was doing on everything else more uh, than than this one in general. Right. So for so for me, right. Sign Seal Delivered, number seven. Obviously still fantastic. I listened to those songs again. Uh, and then for number six, I had Music of My Mind. I think that one, you know, again, I like the instrumentation, but it, it's a little samey, and I think he does better later. Uh, and then I had uh, Where I'm Coming From at number five, because I thought I liked that it was at least taking more risks. It was a little more, it was a little different. 
even though it had my least favorite song of any of them probably i thought the rest of it paid off enough where i wanted to reward that and then the top four for me really is where they could shift uh in any day uh so number four i have talking book i think uh you know like i said these could go in anywhere but right now i think talking book it's the start of this run right so i think by that measure this is where he's he, he gets yeah. better for me talking book is is the is the least consistent of the four. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what it is, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, and then I have Inner Visions right above that at number three, uh, which puts Fulfilling This First Finale for me at number two. I thought okay. I, I thought for me those three just kept getting better. Uh, I think to me, even though obviously the highs may not quite be as high, although I would argue for a couple songs, which I will in a minute, uh, that for Fulfilling This, but... Uh, to me, I thought start to finish, it was really good, really strong, uh, topped only by Songs in the Key of Life, number one. All right. I think as long as we agree on number one and number eight, everything else kind of falls Yeah, exactly. And, and especially with these, which are so close together a lot of times. Uh, but all right, what do you have for your top five songs? Oh, this was so tough. Mm-hmm. Um so number five, I'm gonna go to uh, Talking Book. I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever. I think it's a terrible, like I was not I really cannot tell you why that's in my top five I don't think it should be <laughs> it's just a really good love song it is really good uh, it's also a really it's good uh, really really good a good closing song for high fidelity also a great closer <laughs> for 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 the album yeah um I've not seen high fidelity but I'll take the word <laughs> oh, for spoilers it. it's the last song uh, <laughs> yeah that's fine uh so th- so they get together in the end cool All right. <laughs> Um, number four, Isn't She Lovely, which, mm-hmm. uh, should come right after a great love song is the baby song. So that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. makes sense. That tracks. Number three, Signed, Still Delivered. And then number two, Higher Ground. And number one, obviously, Superstition. Nice. Ooh, and before you go on Uh to your top five, uh, I have to amend my top five from last episode because I listened back and I really feel like I made a mistake. Uh I, I forgot when we were talking about Goodbye Yellow Brick Road that that album has a title track and that song is amazing. So <laughs> uh, I, I gave 
the album short shrift and the the song kind of got lumped into that but uh goodbye yellow brick road belongs in the top five for uh for the 70s should i probably right behind you're the one that i want okay so I'll, 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 uh, well, I'll leave it as it is, but I'll, I'll make sure the correction to, like, is hats uh, off, hats off to my man Elton because he is a legend and I did not want to, to let this episode go without correcting myself on, on not recognizing the greatness of that yeah, song. Well, good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> okay. Back to Stevie. Wonder. All right. Back to Stevie wonder. So I had, yeah, this was a tough five songs to pick uh, for sure. I mean, I went through, uh, just at, you know, adding songs from each album that I thought were were competitors, and I ended up having a twenty five song playlist that I had to try and pare down. Uh, so I, I, can see I that. think uh, I th- feel like all the ones you mentioned are were certainly in that twenty five, uh, and so now you'll have to see which of those actually made it into the top five here. Uh, one of them, well, let's see. I'll start with five, as we do. Five, I had something out of the blue. that one i thought was uh was fantastic probably the best easily the best song on that album for sure i think it's just a nice simple like love song basically something out of the blue and you know it surprised me just like uh, the love does in that song so i thought that one was, was one that i kept coming back to uh number four your least favorite song sir duke i think uh that one all right to me you know as I, I i feel his love for music in that song and it makes me want to listen to it again so i i get uh, i could feel it all over as as he might say i enjoy that song Number three, I have Living for the City, which I played from, uh, good yeah, one. I think that one's fantastic. One of my favorite songs, one I would go back to all the time uh, from Inner Visions. Uh, number two is where my uh, fulfillingness fandom comes in. Uh, Heaven is 10 zillion light years away. I thought that song was really right. good. Oh, that's number two. That's number all two right. for me. I, that one was one that every time it came up, I'm like, man, you know what? This song, it has a great build. I love the choir that comes in in it. And even, you know, as someone who's even not religious in any way, I feel like the way Stevie communicates in these in these more spiritual gospel-y songs uh, just finds a real way to connect, uh, even as somebody who's not in, in, on the same wavelength. I think that's something that's really powerful and maybe just speaks to his musicianship and the way he can arrange a song to just... Uh, it, it was one that grabbed me every time I heard it and it ended up being my second favorite song.
I felt that way about Jesus Children of America as far as like religious songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the same thing. Yeah, I think it is just it's just the way he writes music is just it's really compelling. And I think he can make you feel uh, the way he wants you to feel with with uh, his music. So I think good job on him. Uh, but number one, got to agree, Superstition. Best song for sure. Of course. So yeah, what, one of the... It's the bup, 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 bup. <laughs> exactly. You can't... It's infectious. I, I think, like you said, it's a perfect song. It builds incredibly one instrument after another. Uh, it's just not... It's not topped, I don't think. But thank you so much, everyone, for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Andy Hears It, Facebook.com slash Andy Hears It, email us at Andy Hears It at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review if you can, and check the blog, actonactn.wordpress.com, for the show notes and more. Thank you to Stephen Wonder and everybody out involved making these great albums. And of course, thank you, Aaron, for joining me. Thank you. Next episode, we're going to be ta- taking a listen to Cyrita's uh, 70s discography. Hope that'd be a fun follow up to this one and dig into the work that she did with Stevie and beyond. Uh, and I'm excited to hear that because it's stuff that uh, I haven't really heard before and maybe not a lot of other people have either. So until then, don't forget, it is never too late to discover great music that's new to you. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.